Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. On this week's show, we have a jam-packed episode, so we hope you enjoy it. So sit back, relax, grab a cold beverage, and let's talk everything there is to know in Louisiana outdoors. Folks, welcome to Game Changer Boats. Don't fall for production boat quality. Many production aluminum bay boats and boats are constructed using 100 gauge in aluminum and are only welded on the outside of the hull, creating weaknesses that promote cracking. The lightness of the construction also increases the roughness of the ride of the boat. Game Changer Boats uses superior materials, thicker aluminum, and better built techniques for your boat. Rest assured knowing that we take pride in the construction of your next boat. If you're in the market for a new boat, visit Game Changer Boats at www.gamechangerboats.net or visit us on Facebook today to place your order. This episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors Podcast is also brought to you by SRD20 Boat Products. It shouldn't be hard work. SRD20 products use advanced nanotechnologies in its formulations explicitly designed for boat maintenance. From boat waxes for detailing to waterless washing wax products, SRD20 has boat care products that keep your boat protected from the elements and looking brand new. Visit them online at www.srd20.com and enter promo code LASTSTOP for 20% off all SRD20 products today. Hey, what is going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors podcast. Well, guys, I'm your host, Jacob Robry, and tonight I'm excited to be back in the studio here with you all tonight. If you're watching us on YouTube, we appreciate you guys tuning in for the video version of the podcast. You could probably tell that uh, tonight I'm, I'm watching a baseball game. I got a little LSU baseball in the background and back of me tonight. Got to watch my Tigers play. Uh, so hope you guys don't mind kind of streaming along the game while we do the podcast tonight if you're watching us. Uh, but if you're tuning in on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and you stream us, we appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, like I said, we are now in studio again tonight for this episode. So now that hunting season's kind of ended, we can get back in the studio, kind of get things back to normal again. We don't have to go on the road and do so many episodes for you guys. Hopefully get you a little bit better quality on the podcast. And tonight, guys, I am excited because I have a good friend of mine that's going to be joining us tonight. And uh, and we're going to kind of be rolling off of the episode that we did a couple of weeks back where we were talking about mud boats and kind of the, the need and the future of mud boats in not only the waterfowl side of things, but in the whole boat side of things, whether you're a fisherman looking to maybe uh, get into a boat for your family or you're looking to maybe downsize from having a couple of different model boats into one specific boat that you can kind of do everything with. So tonight we're going to ha- welcome my good friend Charlie Paraloo with Game Changer Boats. You have heard us talk about Game Changer Boats throughout the season. Um, and Charlie and I have become friends over the last couple of years And to be honest with you guys, Charlie is living the American dream. He basically took an idea that he had, a talent that he had for getting into the custom side of boat building, and he started his own company, saw a need and a niche in the market for, you know, improvement on what was out there. 
And he took it upon himself and his family to kind of intertwine it and start building a company from the ground up and got it to where it is today, guys. And if you're not familiar with Game Changer Boats, then trust me, you're going to be familiar with them after this episode and in the coming years, guys, because they make a phenomenal product. And I really want to pick Charlie's brain kind of on, let him tell his story on how he got to where he is today with his company uh, and kind of his history in waterfowl hunting, his history in boating, all that type of stuff, and what led him to where he is today with his company, Game Changer Boats, that he's starting up. So uh, I'd like to start out. I want to kind of pick his, uh, his brain, kind of see how his hunting season went. So, guys, we have Charlie on the line with us. We're going to go ahead and jump into it and welcome him to the show. So let's see if we can pull him in right here. Charlie, what is going on, buddy? How you doing tonight? Good. How you doing, Jacob? Good, man. Good. Well, thank you for so much for coming on the show tonight. I know it's been a uh, been a couple of years now. I've been trying to get you to kind of kind of do the yeah. whole podcast thing, and I know you. Uh, I know you were kind of hesitant at some point to to do it because you're not. You, you said you're not one of those guys that likes to get out there in the public and, and do this type of stuff, but now. You kind of forced to, man. You got a company that we're going to be talking about right. tonight that we're going to introduce to everybody. Yeah, the other day when you uh, you didn't ask me to do it, you said, "Hey, by the way, um, next week you're up," and I said, <laughs> "Okay, I guess I guess I am." Well, the point, the reason I had to do it that way is because I've asked a couple of times, and gosh, yeah. Charlie was like, "I don't know, I don't feel too comfortable uh, getting and talking. I don't know what to say, this and that." And I texted him last week, like he said, and I just went ahead and said, hey, man, I need uh, I, I want to get a guest to kind of roll off of this this latest episode that I did talking about mud boats and boats in general. I said, you're the perfect candidate for it. So I said, you're going to come on the show and thankful that you uh, you said, yeah, and you agreed to it, man. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Well, good. Glad to have you, man. Well, like I mentioned, guys, Charlie is the founder and owner of Game Changer Boats. Uh, which is based right here in Louisiana. And, Charlie, I, I guess before we kind of get too much into conversations, kind of introduce yourself. We all know your name, but you can go ahead and tell everybody your name again. Tell them who you're with and, and kind of what you do. Yeah, I'm uh, Charlie Paraloo. Uh, company is Game Changer Boats. We, uh, we started in 21, the end of 21, build, you know, custom boats. Most of the boats we build are, um, mud boats. However, we're not limited mud boats. We also build, you know, um, center console style and uh, boats for outboard motors for fishing. Um, I've been building boats for probably since around 2007 on the side. And, um, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, I decided, you know, just to go ahead and follow your, uh, follow your dreams and, and, see about you know starting the company and seeing where we can go with it that's awesome man and i said in the intro i told everybody listen and i said you know you're really the american dream and you hear people talk about that like hey this company is the american dream they started small they built it they had a, a they had a, a mindset they had a dream to kind of you know build a product that everybody could use that might be better and that's that's really man people that don't know you charlie that's really as long as i've known you you've talked about doing this and kind of getting it to the point where it's at now. And, you know, to see it kind of evolve the way it did from me knowing you as a friend and you kind of getting it started and moving forward with it to where you are 
today in 2023, like you mentioned, it started in 2021, uh, kind of just as, as something, hey, I'm going to try this, see if it works. And as we sit here in March of 2023, man, you really have a name for yourself going right now with a lot of people that not only down here in Louisiana, but you got customers as far as New York, man, that we've talked about. Right. That you, you've kind of filled me in on and yeah, we'll kind of touch yeah. on that. But uh, you know, one of the things with the um, with the boats, uh, you know, starting it and stuff is, you know, I get I get uh, pictures from customers and whatnot that send me pictures of them duck hunting and them fishing and out using their boats. And and, you be, you know, you, you you become friends with the customers that you have. And, um, you you know, you just can't get that from going to a nine to five job like I, you know, like I get from uh, from that, you know. Yeah. Seeing people using your product and out, you know, catching fish, doing well with ducks. And, you know, it's nothing better than that, man. That's got to be rewarding, you know, to, to and and it's it's a craft. What you do, you, your hands build this product, Charlie. And to see people to see it go from start to finish and then in their hands and hear their stories. That's got to be something that's that's incredibly rewarding as doing what you do. Absolutely. Yep. Now, what people, you mentioned something briefly, what people don't know is that you, this isn't a full-time job necessarily for you at the moment, correct? Not yet. Not yet. That's the end goal, I'm assuming. So you, you're a, you're an average Joe, just like we are, most guys that hunt, that fish, that have a family, and uh, you have a, you have a, you know, a, a full-time job, and then you started your company, Game Changer Boats, on the side, but like you mentioned, you've been building boats for quite some time. So kind of fill the listeners in on your history, Charlie. How did you get into building boats or into the boat industry altogether? How did that start from your early years? So, um, you know, being in the mud boats, um, growing up, we've always had, you know, go devils um, as far back as I can remember. You know, and, and the the first uh, go devil I think we ever had was an eight horse. Um, you know, it didn't have any uh, electric start or anything. It was pull start. You know, and I could remember a lot of mornings at the launch on a cold morning trying to get the go devil started to uh, get going. You know, with the the pull start, and then you know something happened to that motor, which I can't remember because this was you know I was I don't know five or six years old, right? And uh, and then we got a nine horse and we, we had that for a few years. And, um, you know, and then my dad bought a brand new 16 horse long tail, which at the time was the biggest long tail, the biggest mud motor that was on the market. Right. Yeah. And um, we had it on a, um, a, you know, a regular riveted John boat. And um, we we probably used that for several years. And I think my dad had it welded on one time or. So uh, fixing a repair and then, you know, um, I could remember one day back in the prairie, we actually uh, hit a stomp and, you know, ripped a hole in the back of the transom. And uh, we were lucky to, you know, we made it back to the launch. And um, and that's when my dad ordered, you know, a go devil boat. He wanted, you know, he wanted something safe for us to be in and, um, you know, something well built that we weren't going to have that, um, you know, trouble with anymore. And um, that boat, I've, I've actually still got it at my house. It's a 1638, and it's a um, it's a 98 model. So wow, yeah, it's a 98 model. I was born in '89, so okay. you know, okay. yeah, uh, 
so that and you, so that boat had an eight horsepower on it. Is that no, what you that said? boat had the sixteen? Sixteen that horse had, that had the sixteen on it for, and it had the sixteen for years. Um, we always ran the sixteen. Um, you know, then they eventually they came out with the twenty three, which yep. that was the you know that was the biggest mud motor at the time. Nobody could believe like, man, 23 horse, you know, I know that was the, you were a big shit. If you were pulled up and launched one at 23, you know, I remember that and I'm sure you do too. Oh yeah. But, um, so, you know, that, that's kind of my history of, you know, dealing with, with mud motors. I've been doing it my whole life and, and I've also, um, you know, always just loved boats. You know, I always tell people, some people, you know, they ask the same question, like, how did you get in the boats? And I, I say, well, some guys, you know, like cars, I like boats. You yep. know, I, um, I'm just a boat guy. Um, as far back as I can remember, I've just always, you know, um, liked boats. And, you know, when I when I was in high school, I think when I was 16, I bought my first aluminum welding machine. Okay. Um, I was actually working, you know, at Boat City, rigging boats. And, um, I ordered a, um, you know, a little, uh, aluminum machine with a spool gun. And that's when I started learning how to weld aluminum on my own and, uh, started building, uh, some P-Rows actually. I think I probably built three or four, you know, aluminum P-Rows before I ever built a, a full-size boat. But, okay. So let me you know, stop you right there for a second, Charlie. For those of our listeners, we get a lot of out-of-state listeners. Now, if they listen to the to the podcast or see us on social media, chances are they know what a P-Rog is. But explain to the to the person who may not know what that is. Being from Louisiana, we take it for granted what it is. Right. Explain that to, to the yeah. to the listeners. Man, you, you may have to help explain that one. Because, uh, you know, it's basically, you know, a, a canoe, right, with flat bottom, with double-pointed bows. Now, you can get them with a flat back for a trolling motor, but, um, you know, very similar to a canoe flat bottom most of the time i guess they do have round bottom ones that people use more for swamp type hunting but marsh styles normally for stability flat bottom um you know basically some people may call them chase boats whatnot just a one or two person boat basically to go out get you into some areas that you can't get into with a larger boat possibly or maybe we use them you know and i know you use them heavily down in the marshes where you hunt and uh, we'll probably talk. We're gonna get to that a little later, as far as duck season, and kind of pick your brain on that. But uh, I mean, you use that as a major tool to go along with your boat, correct? Absolutely. Hunt season. I don't think I ever leave without one. Well, explain to the to the listener how you kind of utilize a P-Rog to go along. Where does that fit in with the whole boat setup, the whole hunting so, boat setup? So for for me, I, I don't like hunting you know, out of the boat. I'm, I'm tem- I typically hunt in the marsh, tucked in. I normally, you know, here in Louisiana, of course, there's, there's nowhere in the marsh that you can stand without sinking. So I generally put plywood or pallet and uh, maybe rose cane to build a blind uh, to kind of stay a little lower profile. And I, um, I hide the boat, uh, park the boat, you know, two or 300 yards away. And then I paddle back and I just use a cover to cover the P-Row. So, you know, it's a little more conspicuous than um, having the boat. Stick out where it's, it's visible to the right. birds. And, and, you know, going back, that's really the way. What's cool about that is that th- those traditions are still alive here in, in Louisiana, especially South Louisiana, down in the marshes, uh, down here in the lower part of the state. And maybe 
there's other areas that it's like that, Charlie, but I'm not aware of any other places that utilize P-Rogs and stuff like that to kind of hunt the way we do here in Louisiana. But then again, maybe I'm wrong on that. But yeah. our ancestors, that's going back to the traditional way of doing it that you do. Right. Well, yeah, because, you know, back then they didn't have mud motors, so they they could only get as close as they could with the uh, with the outboard. And uh, and they had to paddle so far to get in the shallow ponds. That's right. You know? That's exactly um, right. So so in high school, you bought a welding machine at 16 years old. You started building kind of, you know, messing around with that building P-Rogs, and then from there, how did it evolve? So from there, um, yeah, I went, I actually worked for Go Devil, building, you know, boats, um, and just always, you know, I've had a passion for it. And, you know, once I, I started working in the plants, welding, welding uh, pipe and stuff, and, and I've always done it, you know, on the side, um, kind of, you know, building homemade boats and whatnot. And, yeah. um, you know, and always trying to, um, improve. Right. Yeah. And, definitely. Um, yeah. So that was, I mean, that's been, you know, since 2007, I think I've basically been doing that. And, um, you know, and like I said, last year, just, you know, kind of, um, actually, actually, uh, the guy at the aluminum company, the salesman at the aluminum company, he, you know, he, he would, he would sell me aluminum and I'd send him pictures. We kind of became friends mm -hmm. and, um, he um, he actually was a pretty big motivator to me. He's like, dude, I sell aluminum to a lot of people and I'll see a lot of boats and your boats are, you know, very nice compared to, you know, some of the other boats that we see and whatnot. And um, it actually really motivated me because I never, you know, I kind of always thought like, I, you know, I could never do this. This is too much for me. You know, it's not, mm -hmm. you know, um, yeah, it's he, easy to he, doubt he, yourself, you know. I'm assuming. I had a lot, yeah, I, and I, and and it's funny because a lot of other people have always had more faith in me than I've had, right? And gotcha. you know, and now you know he's you know just after him talk, you know, we've talked about it a lot, and I'm like, you know what, you're right. I'm I'm gonna go for it because this is you know this is what I love. This is my dreams, and uh, I can't see any reason not to. That's awesome, man. That's pretty cool. And, 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 you know, I'm a man of faith, man. And without getting too deep into religion, stuff like that, I truly believe God puts people in your path that are like him, that, that, that you know, you met this guy through this business relationship and bam, next thing you know, he, now you speaking about him on a podcast, you live in your dream doing what you want to do. And you giving a little bit of, you know, shout, shout out back to him and a little bit of thank you back to him. That, that's that's awesome, man. That's pretty cool. I actually I know you pretty well, and you never even I've never knew that story. So that's right. that's pretty cool right. to hear, you know. And, and that's that's I mean, you know, I can see where you would doubt yourself. You talked about kind of doubting yourself, Charlie. And, and I think that's just human nature a lot of times because a it's one thing when you build and tampering around at home building boats for yourself, you know. Right. So or you could go pill around, you could go make some hunts, go fishing. But then to start a business like you did where you're at now with Game Changer Boats and to build boats for a customer base, that's two completely different, you know, Absolutely. spectrums right there. That's two completely different scenarios. Absolutely. So you got to have some confidence there, man. And uh, obviously he got you kind of motivated. Like you said, you uh, you took off from there with it. And 
I mean, if you could explain the difference, because there are a million different boat brands out there nowadays. We talk about that. We've had that conversation. And there's, you know, a, a place in the market that years back, especially here in Louisiana, and I'm sure it's across the country like this, but guys said, well, hey, I could build a custom-built boat that's maybe better than what the big box stores are producing or right. the big manufacturers are producing on a on, on a level where they turn out thousands and thousands of boats, cookie cutter, assembly line type boats, you know? Right. Uh, so for you to jump into the custom side, not only was that a big step for you to do that and start selling your product and your creations and, and the customer's creations to the customer, but you also jumped into a market that was pretty well saturated with custom boat builders, so to say, quotation right. marks, you know? So let me ask you this, what separated, what, what in your opinion separates Game Changer Boats now that you're here in 2023, you're on the market producing boats for customers, what separates you, let's start with this as being a two-part question, from the, the cookie cutter boats, like your, you know, your trackers, your G3s, your expresses, all those type of boats like that, what separates you from that? So, yeah, the, you know, a lot of the cookie cutter boats, um, you know, there's no, um, you know, you get what you get and, and that's what, what it is. Right. You know, we, we typically try to sit down with people and, um, and design their boat, you know, and, you know, we have a list of basic options that we use, but, you know, like, um, for instance, you know, the cat, like if you want catwalks, eight inch catwalks, six inch catwalks, but you know, a guy today I was talking to, he's like, I want, you know, can I get four inch catwalks? And I'm like, it's no problem, you know? So, you know, we can, um, normally we'll sit down and draw out exactly what you want. And, um, you know, and, and we go from there. Um, but yeah. I think it's pretty cool being able to uh, somebody design, I mean, you know, every little thing, some people may want their seat base in a different spot, you know, and it's, you know, it's not a problem just, you know, to move something like that, you know? Yeah. So customization is ultimately the main factor in being able to give the customer exactly what they want. That's right. the huge advantage. But let me ask you this, because it's a custom built company, or you hear that term thrown around with many builders nowadays, let me ask you this. Is it is it typically better materials that go into those boats? Is it typically better, you know, e electronics, equipment, all that type of stuff that goes into the actual building of the boat? Right. So is there a difference there from from the big box stores, in your opinion? Absolutely. So most of the um, like, you know, the trackers and whatnot, when you you look on their website, they use 5052 grade aluminum for the for the hull, which is a uh, softer grade of aluminum. And we use 5086 for, you know, for basically every, the haul and transom. Um, it's a little harder, so you can't bend it without cracking. Um, so like for, for boxes and lids and whatnot, we use, we do use 5052, but the, the haul material is a little harder to, um, you know, for hitting stumps and whatnot in these mud boats to, uh, it, it won't dent as easy as, you know, the softer grade aluminums. Gotcha. And it's a little bit, you know, more expensive aluminum, but you're getting a much better product in the end. You, and I agree with you. You typically are. But what we've discovered, and you and I have had these conversations, is does custom mean automatically that it's more expensive than the big box stores, uh, boats that are out there? Um, I, Typically, I don't think so. I guess it depends on really how 
you know, how custom you go and how much, you know, how much you add, you know, and that's one thing that I would, you know, I'm trying to do is keep it to where, you know, we have a basic boat that is, you know, plain Jane boat that somebody can afford, you know, the average guy can afford, you know, easy. Um, but we also, you know, offer, you know, a lot of options. And like I said, we can kind of build whatever. And then you start adding the C deck and whatnot. And it, you know, the price definitely does go up. Um, however, those are options that are not, um, not even, um, offered with, um, box store type boats. Um, but I do try to, I still want to keep the, um, the basic model boats to, you know, for the blue collar guy that is just, you know, wanting to go run line, hoop net lines or whatever on the river and, um, you know, be able to have something affordable. Yeah. And, you know, that's a very good point. I'm glad you made because last episode that we did, we talked, I talked about uh, mud, uh, kind of a need in the market for mud boats or, you know, maybe a smaller aluminum boats, that type of stuff. Because with the economy, Charlie, the way it is, with, with inflation as high as it is right now, and you and I have talked about this, You, we have even ran the idea, you know, of, you know, hey, what you, you asked me, hey, what do you think about producing a smaller boat, something that's affordable for the average working man, like you mentioned just now. Right. You know, so, you know, in my opinion, I think that, the style of boat business that you're in has a, an extremely bright future because I think a lot of customers are starting to scale back. Guys that may have had one, two, maybe even three boats in some instances, one for hunting, one for fishing, one to kind of go saltwater fish and do whatever. I think guys are having trouble. Families are having trouble affording to maintain two or three boats. And now they're looking to downsize something uh, you know, or not only necessarily downsize, but kind of downsize the number of boats that they are maybe right. have in their arsenal at home. And you have companies like you at Game Changer Boats that can offer those customers a, a kind of one shop, do it all type boat, right? Right. I mean, what what are your thoughts on that? Do you see the market in, in what you do, customization of aluminum boats, mud boats specifically? Do you see where do you see that heading into the future? from, from a, a, a so, business owner's perspective? You know, a lot of, um, you know, I guess years ago, the mud boats were pretty much um, strictly, people use them strictly for hunting season. And then once hunting season was over, they, they were in the garage for the rest of the year. And, um, and now, you know, a, a lot of these guys, I mean, almost every boat that I build gets a trolling motor bracket, at least. You know, the, you know, some guys put a trolling motor on later, but everybody puts a bracket on. Because, you know, that boat's, you know, a lot of those guys that use that boat all summer for fishing. Um, and then the other thing now is you've got, you know, you've got a lot of these mud boat runs. People, people just, you know, want to get out on the mud boats on Saturdays during the summer when it's ice and get together and just, and, you know, and everybody's riding. Um, yeah. It's just, the market has changed. And I guess a lot of that is because, you know, like I said earlier, you know, we had 16 horse engine and that was the biggest engine they made at the time. I don't think anybody was, you know, they weren't joy riding um, with them. But now we've got these bigger motors that are faster and we're running more towards, you know, stock engines, 30 miles an hour. And um, they're, you know, it's you, you get a little bit more speed. You can cover more water and a little more enjoyable. They're a, a little easier to drive than the, um, than the long tails were. And people, um, people enjoy, you know, going out and running them. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they they so much more comfortable. You know, I made the switch, and you know this, and all the listeners that follow us, they know we made a switch from a long tail this year to the to the uh, to the surface drive. And uh, man, I can't tell you how much less wear and tear I had on my body from the old thirty five long tail that we had. Right. But with that being said, what's your opinions? Do long tail motors still have a place in the market? With all the new surface drives that are out nowadays, your Gator Tails, your Go Devils, all these brands that are coming out with these surface drives, where do long tails still fit in, in your opinion? I'm kind of interested to get so, your take well, on that. You know, like we, we hunt a lot in the swamp and Marlboro Swamp, and, um, you know, it's some pretty uh, pretty rough terrain. And a lot of the trails, uh, you know, they grow up with Floton over the summer. And, um, you know, some of these trails are – you know, they're only a couple feet wide. So you can run, I, th I still feel like, you know, with the long tails running a narrower boat, um, you know, I, I had one uh, recently that was a 36 inch bottom um, with oh, a 23 wow. on it. And, you know, the using those boats in the swamp, I still build several boats like that for guys, 36 inch bottom. And a lot of times they're round chom um, for running, you know, that, that timber type area. Um, that I, I think, you know, a lot of times with the surface drive, maybe when you get stuck, you don't have as much leverage as you do with the long tail. And they typically work good in that area. Gotcha. You know, and I agree with that. They, there's a there's definitely a place for them still, in my opinion, then, you know. The other part of that is there's some there's some guys that hunt, um, you know, they may have a lease where the, they leave the boat in the water and they don't run far. They might only run half a mile to a blind. And, you know, they're half the price of a surface drive, right? Yeah, good so, point. You know, if, you, if you're not running far and you're just idling to a bind, but it's blind, but it's shallow water and you, need, you, you still need a mud motor, you know, maybe it doesn't make sense to, um, you know, to, to spend the money on a surface drive where you just, you know, can save a little money, get the long tail, and it does everything you need to do. Yeah. And, you know, your company, Game Changer Boats, you could build – you, I mean, have you built any long tail models since you, you've, you've kicked it up in the last couple of years? Let's see. I built probably two last year. Okay. And I know for sure, like right now, I've got a guy that's uh, interested in, I think that's what he wants, a 1736. And I think he's going to get a 23 long tail. Okay. Awesome. So my, I guess the point there is that, is that you could build – whether a guy's looking for something, uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, higher end or lower end, you could build a, a long tail setup for a customer, Absolutely. just like he wants it set up, the length he wants it set right. up. So, guys, so really, yeah. it's a do-it-all type type stop with Game Changer boats. Right. And, you know, and that that's the thing. We want it to be affordable for, you know, for the people that, you know, like this guy, He he's, you know, he doesn't even want his boat painted. He's like, look, I want an aluminum hull. You know, I don't need anything. I'm just trying to keep the cost down. Uh, yeah. Can you do that? And yeah, absolutely. That's we awesome. Can, yep. know, take it as far as you want, you know. Now, Charlie, you mentioned something. For those who may be in the market right now, they may be shopping for a boat, or maybe this coming hunting season, that they're, they're kind of new because there's so many young waterfowl hunters coming to the sport now that we we talk about that, and we've talked about it in previous episodes. A lot of young guys, a lot of your customers, you know, for that matter, or a, a lot of younger guys that are getting into the sport. They're graduating from high school. They get that first big job at the plant or wherever they work. They're making money. They don't have a wife, don't have kids yet. They're going to go out. They're going to buy them a truck. They're going to buy them a boat. So they're going to come see yeah. you, and they're going to do that. Uh, 
you know, so that that's that's something that's probably pretty common. But for those people who don't know, you mentioned a round chon versus a different style of build a while ago. So if you don't mind without getting too technical with all that, kind of explain the difference between round chon versus other designs and what fits each application a little bit better. Right. So the, the round chimes um, are basically, you know, it's flat bottom. And, you know, the way we build them is the sheet is the sheet is laid flat. And we weld the ribs in and we use uh, we weld the transom in and the transom's got a cur the curve on the edges and we actually pull the sides up with come alongs. So what that does is it gives you a gradual radius on each side, you know, gotcha. and um, those boats typically handle a little better. They, um, you know, they the turning, they don't there's, you know, no slide to them and, you know, running in the swamp it's a little better rolling off of stumps and whatnot. The uh, other style that we build is a, you know, a square chime where we actually bend the sides up. They, um, they do typically run a little faster. However, they do normally have a little slide to them. Now, all these boats that we build for, um, for mud motors don't have any um, corrugations or V crimps on the bottom to prevent hanging up on any kind of stumps or mud. Gotcha. So, you know, like the typically if I build one that's for an outboard, I'll put um, I'll put crimps in the bottom and that'll help with tracking um, okay. and slide. OK. Now, you know, traditionally that, that's that's some good information out there for you guys who may be in the market and you hear round chine, square chine, because I know in my business where we sell mud boats, you know, we we get that, that question pretty often. They're like, man. You know, I hear guys talk about round chine versus square chine. What's the difference? What should I choose? And to hear you explain it, that that definitely is some good information for people right there. You know, so that's a good thing. Uh, you know, and, and other areas that, you know, you are not only focusing on in the mud motor side of it, but you are also building fishing boats as well. So for customers that are looking to that maybe don't duck hunt or don't, hunt with with a mud motor setup and you want an outboard motor setup you know to go fishing then game changer boats has something for those guys as well right charlie absolutely yeah and like i said typically what we do is you can build the same style boat but what i like to do on an outboard is put um you know about four crimps in the bottom of the hull to help with um with sliding and, and it'll you know you'll have a lot better maneuverability with that hull with an outboard motor. Gotcha. Gotcha. And you know, when it comes to the outboards, you what's what's your offerings there? Do you do you have offerings from different motor manufacturers? Whenever a customer comes to game changer boats to build a boat, how does that how does that procedure typically go, Charlie, from a start to finish type type situation for a customer? Right. So currently I don't I don't sell any motors currently. That's uh, something that I'm going to be working towards in the next uh, year or so, trying to get um, maybe an, one, you know, mud motor line and one uh, outboard line that we can offer as a package deal. Typically, what happens is customers, some, some customers have motors already, mud motors or whatever, and they, um, or some customers, you know, they buy them from, you know, you know from y'all or um, another dealership and, um, I'll, um, I'll generally, you know, I'll go pick up the motor and put it on the boat and, you know, wire it out and rig it 
So whenever they pick up their boat, it's water ready. It's um, water I ready. Sell, I do sell uh, McLean trailers. I'm a you know a dealer for McLean trailers. So, um, you know we've uh, you know we've got the uh, trailers and the boats covering. Normally, just you know the yeah. motors come from different places. So you um, could deal the trailer. You could build the boat. Uh, the customer just picks what manufacturer outboard that they want to go with. They purchase it from a dealer. You could have it picked up. Uh, if, I'm assuming if it's local, right. you know, or somewhere right around yeah. where you build the boats. And now then, the only difference with the uh, with the outboards is normally, uh, typically Mercury Yamaha, they require the motor to be installed by a certified technician. So. Generally, they'll. Um, I, what I'll do is I'll run the steering system. If it's hydraulic steering, I'll run the steering and I'll wire the boat, and then we'll, we'll bring it to the dealership, and they'll uh, they'll have it installed by their certified technician uh, gotcha. for really for warranty purposes and whatnot on that motor to make sure it's registered through that company with warranty. Gotcha, gotcha. To make sure it's done right, that makes sense. So that's a good thing, right. you know. So. You know, uh, other aspects, if, if somebody's looking at purchasing a boat with Game Changer Boats, other aspects, how, what do you have available to the customers now for them to kind of go check out, uh, you know, options that are available? Because you talked about some boats having stock models on them. Do you have a website? How does that work? I know I know you were in looking to invest into a website. Is that something right. that's up and running now? Yeah, kind of so, explain that to, to the listeners. So, um, actually, yeah, we do have a website. It's up and running. It's GameChangerBoats.net. And okay. um, my brother actually built it, and uh, I think he, he did a really good job uh, putting it together. Um, we've got an estimating tool in there for flat boats right now where, uh, you know, either flat boats or mud boat style hulls. That's got a list of, you know, different hull sizes and different options that you can go with and uh, kind of give you an idea of price uh, where, you know, where you would be at. We're actually we're going to be working on uh, soon putting an um, estimate, you know, for like a V, uh, v hull bay boat style because um, we have built a few of those, built a couple of those last year. Mm -hmm. um, but we also have, uh, you know, Facebook. Facebook page and Instagram. There's tons of pictures on Facebook and Instagram. Um, still working on getting a few more pictures uh, uploaded to the website. And I, I want to put a section for, you know, custom fabrication. And also want to put a section for, you know, customers actually out using their boats. And, um, you know, that send me, you know, I get pictures from customers all the time out, you know, out in their boat. And I'd, I'd like to upload a lot of that to the website too. So, you know. Yeah. And, and, and that's an interesting question. Every guest I have on the show, especially business owners, people that are influencers. Charlie, how, I know you said, you know, you hesitated for so long to kind of do a podcast or or do that type of stuff because you didn't feel comfortable. But now that you have a business and it's out there and it's growing, how important is social media to your business, in your opinion, right now? Very important. I think most of the most of the sales that you get are people that, you know, um, you know, that found you on social media, Facebook, whatnot, and, um, you know, contact you, um, you know, cause you know, last year I, you know, built a boat for a guy in New Jersey and he, you know, that's how that went. He, he ran across my Facebook page and then gave me a call and, you know, right there, he was like, okay, I want one, you know, when, you know, when can we have it? <laughs> yep. 
Yeah, yeah. And it's amazing, man. I mean, social media can be a curse sometimes, I know, and a headache. But as a business owner, I always say, you know, you got to have it. You got to get involved right. with it. The society is just kind of forcing you into Absolutely. it, you know. And uh, right. but I mean, it's it's, you know, I hate to use the term free advertising because nothing's free. You know that. Right. And you all the listeners, you know that it costs us time. It costs us time away from our families when you're on it. All that type of stuff is going to cost you at some point or in some aspect or another. But being on social media for a business, especially like yours, a smaller company that's up and coming, making a name for itself. I mean, man, it could it could absolutely launch you, bring new customers to you, word of mouth from that point on. It just kind of snowballs and grows. And I think you probably experienced that from conversations that we've had. And you just mentioned a, an example of that, how much it's it's kind of brought business to your name brand, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, that was something that I had to, it was a learning curve for me because I've never really been a big social media guy. Um, but, you know, it, it's part of it and you, you have to do it, yeah. you know? Yeah. I agree with that a hundred percent. Well, man, it's, it's excellent. Uh, talking about the business side of things, uh, about game changer boats. There's so much that you guys have to offer. You guys could tell from the conversation, we're having it with Charlie, but now Charlie, we're gonna kind of we're gonna kind of shift gears a little bit, unless there's something else you want to bring to the customers' attention and the listeners' attention. But man, I'm curious to know, which I kind of know a little bit about it. But let's talk duck season this year, 2022-2023 season. Overall, a scale of one to ten, Charlie, what wh what would you rate this past season? Yeah, you know, Jacob. Honestly, I I would have to probably be somewhere nine if I had to. If I had to rate it myself, I don't know if it was really a good year, if I was just really lucky this year. Um, but I had maybe a little um, bit of both, maybe a little bit of both, maybe huh? a little bit of both. But I had a phenomenal year. Um, you know, we started out in um, in November, you know, opening morning. It was hot and, um, you know, mosquitoes and whatnot, and, you know. But we, we hunted that morning and um, I think we killed a three man limit of uh you know, gray ducks and, you know, down towards the Hopedale area. And um, from there on out, it was just, you know, pretty much steady limits all year. That's um, awesome, man. I know you had a, a jam up here for sure. Right. So I had, you know, did most of my hunting in, um, in, in Hopedale. I was fortunate to get a, um, a small lease in Pearl River this year and, um, you know, made, I think I'll, probably made about four hunts out there and um three out of the four were i would say above average hunts um one hunt was you know wasn't a it wasn't a total bust uh you know killed three or four birds but um you know i you know it's how it goes sometimes right can't can't get them every time but um, that's exactly right that's exactly you know and i think that i think the lease kind of surprised you at some point this year, because right. you kind of you, you kind of jumped into the lease, you and a friend of yours, if I'm not right. mistaken, you had told me the story and you said, man, we kind of picked up this lease, you know, and, it, you know, wasn't real expensive. We got it just to have a place a little closer to home. You have small children now. You have a son coming up that you're trying to start right. taking out and, and doing some hunting with. And you said it'd be perfect to take him out, do a little bit of hunting. But at one point, the first couple of hunts, you called me and you're like, man. We did pretty well. I, and the species of birds you were killing, you were surprised yeah. with, right? 
Right. Yeah. And, and that was, that's what's, what's, uh, what's odd to me is it's, it's really only on the other side of the lake is where I typically hunt. And where I typically hunt, we basically kill gray ducks, gray ducks, and gray ducks, you know, maybe a couple teal here and there, but you know, you go to the other side of the lake, I killed gray ducks, blue wing teal, green wing teal, widgeon, um, killed a couple mallards, um, pintail, and model ducks, you know. Yeah, yeah, great ducks. I mean, great yeah. species of ducks. Great ducks, and 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 only twelve miles apart on the other yeah. side of the lake, and and it, and and sometimes I wonder, like, why why is the species of ducks totally different on one side of the lake from the other? What's you your know? thoughts on that? I mean, what because I've heard idea. that before from guys, you know. You know, but I've hunted the Pearl River in. Hopedale, which is on the opposite side of the lake, and then in between you've got like Bayou Sauvage area um, mm-hmm. towards uh, Chef and the you know Chef Mentor and stuff. And that um, you know, and that's the same thing. They're killing a total different species of ducks over there. Now, most of the Bayou Sauvage is uh, is youth hunt only, so unfortunately, I'm not able to hunt it right now. I got a couple yeah. more years before my boys start going and then, you know, we'll be, uh, we'll, we'll be able to hunt that area as well, but you know. Um, and that's a good point, Charlie. Not to, I don't want to cut you off, but the Bayou Sauvage area, do you know any details on that? Because a lot of people are not aware of that area, kind of what is designed for, who can hunt it that I know without getting too specific, what's the general, the general purpose of Bayou Sauvage and the availability to hunters. Yeah. Bayou Sauvage, the national wildlife refuge. It's not a, it's not a wildlife management area. And, you know, some wildlife refuges you're allowed to hunt on some, some there's no hunting at all, but Bayou Sauvage, they happen to have the rules set at uh, it's youth hunt only all year round. So, but what that means is um, the adult can participate in the hunt. So if you and your, you know, you and your son go and he's, you know, 16 or under, you can both shoot. So it's not like a typical youth hunt where the adult can't shoot and the adult can have, you know, I think you're allowed uh, two, uh, two children per participating adult. Okay. So that's a scenario where the adult could actually hunt with the children, you say? Yep. The adult can shoot, but if you don't, you know, if there's, it's but it's youth hunt only so you can't you know you, me and you can't go and uh and make a hunt unfortunately but i, I think it's a pretty good area because it's pretty restricted yeah and you i was know, gonna ask you like how practice. is the hunting in that area i've heard people talk about it but it's always seems like it's kind of on the download when they're talking about all bison all right, i just think that there's just not a lot of pressure and there's just not not a lot of people hunting it because of the restrictions but the people that i know of that have hunted it in the past have you know, have done really well. And I've heard a lot of good reports from that area. Really? Yep. Yeah. I've kind of heard some, some, some positive things about it too. So that's pretty interesting. So guys, if you got, you know, a youth hunter that's coming up, look it up Bayou Sauvage and, and maybe some people know about it. They're going to hate us after this, Charlie, because we kind of spilling the beans on this, but man, we're, we're at the end of the day, we're here to help everybody out. And if you could get a youth hunter involved in hunting and waterfowl hunting specifically, Man, there's nothing better in my opinion than that. So check out that Bayou Sauvage. That's something definitely to look forward to. But uh, but yeah, I, like I, I said, this year, nine out of ten, that's a strong number. And if I was in your shoes, Charlie, 
I'd, I'd rate it a nine out of 10 as well, because I know what type of season you had right. when I asked that and question. Then, and, uh, you know, at the end of the year, um, you know, I was, uh, I was able to make a trip to New Jersey to go hunt with a customer. I wanted to ask was, you about that. Yeah. Which was an awesome experience. Um, Tell us about you know, that. How, how was that compared to Louisiana? So the reason, the one, the main reason that I wanted to go, well, two things is one, because it's always fun to go somewhere different and see something different. Right. Definitely. Um, and the other thing is, you know, I've never killed a black duck. I don't know if I've ever, if I know anybody that's ever killed, a, you know, a true American black duck. And mm-hmm. um, it was just, you know, on my list to do. And, uh, and, you know, I, after talking with uh, my, you know, my customer friend of mine now that, um, you know, and he's like, man, if you want to kill black ducks, just come to my house and uh, we can kill black ducks, you know. So I um, planned a trip and actually, you know, flew into New Jersey and, um, you know, we hunted uh, three days and, you know, did exactly what he, uh, we said we was going to do. And we actually, you know, hunted the ducks in the morning and uh, killed, you know, the limits only two on black ducks. But um, we were able to kill our limits of the black ducks in the mornings. And in the afternoon, we actually went and killed Brant. So that's another species that, um, you know, that we don't have around here. No, no, you won't see that in Louisiana. That's for sure. No. So so how was how was New York, man? When, look, when I know the answer to this, but I want the listeners to you kind of give your take to the listeners, because. New York's not a place typically when you hear or you think a traditional waterfowl hunt and phenomenal waterfowl hunting, New York is not one that anybody probably down in the South, Louisiana, Texas, Arkansas, you know, any of the Southern regions ever thinks of. You hear about Kansas, Arkansas, you hear about all these spots, but nobody really has a lot of knowledge of far as far East as is thinking about New York as being a, a good waterfowl destination. How was that? Well, well, I guess when you got there and you got out there to where y'all were going to be hunting, what kind of surprised you the most or did it surprise you? The terrain, so the style the of hunting, that type that, of stuff. Uh, that surprised me was, uh, you know, the, the tide. They have a tide uh, of about six foot over there. Okay. So, you know, the first morning we get to where we're going now, it's still dark, right? So I, you know, still haven't seen any marsh yet because I'm just, I'm riding in the boat in the dark and we get to where we're going and, um, you know, John says, um, you know, he says the ducks have been kind of hanging out in this little cove. He said, I think we're going to hunt this little cove today. Um, you know, the wind's not perfect for it. Um, but at the end of the day, the ducks have been wanting to go here. So I want to go here too. And I was like, okay, well, me too. You know, smart man. He knew, he knew where the birds were. So, but he, when he started throwing the decoys out, you know, he was literally throwing the decoys out on a mud flat. And I'm thinking to myself, and I said, John, I said, uh, you know, typically in Louisiana, we hunt over water, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, he said, he said, don't worry about it. He said, there'll, there'll be water here by the time daylight comes, you know? And I look at my phone and I'm like, okay, that's 10 minutes, 10 minutes till shooting time. You're telling me we're putting decoys out on mud and and there's going to be water here, you know? Okay. And, uh, within five minutes, all those decoys were floating. Good God. Yeah. That's yeah, different. And, uh, That's definitely different than Louisiana. Right. And then the the other thing was within after a couple of hours, because we were we had blinds on the edge of the marsh grass. 
And after a couple hours, we were actually moving our blinds back because the water was starting to come into the blinds because it, oh, wow. you know, it had rose, you know, in, in three hours time, it, you know, it rose three feet. Yeah. That's insane, dude. I mean, that, yeah. I mean, that's something that, yeah, you never experienced down here for sure. You know? Right. And um, one of the things that I learned, cause it's, you know, a lot of that area, they have a lot of public land over there. And um, one of the things is like, well, man, it seems like it'd be so easy to drive over here with a boat and, um, and go kill black ducks. But um, I learned real quick, if you didn't, if you didn't know what you were doing over there, mm-hmm. you'd probably, uh, it'd probably be a bad day for you. Cause when that tide falls out, you know, you think you're, you're running in a bay that looks like as big as the Mississippi river with a current flowing. And, um, but it's only two inches deep and, uh, and it's sandbars. You gotcha. Know? Gotcha. Um, yeah. I you could get in some trouble quickly. You could get in trouble quick. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's pretty cool, man. I mean, you ended up getting the birds that you were going after. You got, I'm assuming you're going to mount a couple of birds that you harvested on that trip. Right. Yep. I actually, um, I brought, uh, three black ducks and a brant home with me. I, um, I actually was able to, <laughs> put, <yeah. laughs> you, you're laughing. Cause I want you to tell that story. If you don't mind, tell that story. Okay. So you flew. So before the trip, you shipped ammunition and gun over there. To no, so I, is that what you I did? flew with my shotgun flying with okay. the shotgun. is not, a, you know, it's not too bad. You, um, you basically just check it in like you check in luggage. But um, one of the things that I learned is you get um, you can go to uh, Walmart or wherever and get um, TSA approved locks. So you can actually put a TSA approved lock on your gun case. It's got to be a hard case. And I think there's a slot for a key that TSA has. If they need to if they need to look in it, they can open it without calling you back to the, you know, to the counter or whatever. OK, OK. Um, so I flew with my gun. I did ship. I did order some shells and ship them to New Jersey before I got there, just because I thought it'd be a little easier and I wouldn't have to, um, you know, worry about packing ammunition as well on the plane or whatever. Definitely. So I did that, and um, on the way home, I actually because I asked John, I said, "Man, I, I'd love to mount a black duck," you know. I said, you know, how do I get, how do, how do I do that? He says, you know, yeah, you just, you, you get, you get a soft cooler and, um, you know, you put it in, you will freeze them and then put them in the soft cooler and just bring it as your carry on, on the plane. I'm okay. like, okay. Yeah. That, <laughs> so you got a whole good. duck in this soft cooler, a, try to bring it back duck. on the plane. Yeah. I actually wind up with three, three ducks and a brand, you know? Okay. Um, so I've got these ducks in a soft cooler. So when I get to the airport in New, New, New Jersey coming home, you know, I check in my gun and my bag and I've got my my backpack cooler with my ducks in it. And, uh, you know, I'm a little nervous. I don't know what's about to happen. Right. So a lot. Luckily, the airport that I flew into was a very small airport. So I get to the um, you know, the uh, the security line. And there's actually nobody in line, not not a single person in line. So I'm like, okay, this is good because I know they're going to question me and this could get embarrassing pretty quick. Right. (laughs) Uh, So I I put my bag on the uh, the conveyor belt for the x-ray machine and I go through the uh, you know, through the other side, go through the metal detector, 
And um, I hurry up and go because I kind of wanted to see the x-ray machine to mm -hmm. see what it kind of was going to look like coming through. You were curious. And, um, yeah. So I, um, the guy's looking at it and I see it on the screen and he's looking at it and he's trying to figure out what's in this bag. And, um, and so then he looks at me, he says, you know, is this your bag? And I'm thinking, well, I'm the only guy <laughs> I'm the here. only one in line. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it, it, it's mine. And, um, he says, what, he said, sir, what do you, what do you have in here? Yams? Yeah. And I said, yams, like sweet potatoes. He said, yeah. And I said, I said, no, I said, um, but I'll go ahead and give you another guess. And, uh, he said, You're not going to tase you on the spot, Ryder. <laughs> probably so. But I, I figured I might as well have some fun with it at this point, right? Correct. So I, um, so he, he, he says, is it a rooted vegetable? And I said, um, no. I said, it's not a rooted vegetable. And he said, is it a meat? And I said, yeah, I guess, yeah, you could consider it a meat. <laughs> and um, so then I told him, I said, it's ducks. You know, they're whole ducks frozen. Mm -hmm. So he, you know, he gives it to another lady and this, and he says, hey, we, we've got to search this bag. <laughs> so I was like, okay, here we go. You know, yeah. so she's actually, she actually gets the, the, um, the backpack and she's unpacking them and she's got to take every one of them out individually because they're wrapped in garbage bags too. So oh she's got to take them out individually. And I don't think she's ever seen, um, you know, a dead animal before in her life because she was disgusted. They think that they probably called the next Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> right. Right. But um, yeah, she was, um, you know, she had to wipe them all down and she was making all kind of noises and whatnot the whole time. And, uh, you know, put it in a machine checking for gunpowder or whatever they check for. And, um, you know, and then they packaged them up. And um, I, I told her, I was like, I, you know, I don't, I don't mind putting them back in the bag. And she's like, no, I have to, you know, protocol. So she she packs them all back in the cooler for me. And, um, you know, and that was the end of it. I got on the plane and, uh, you know, put them Blue ass back to Louisiana. Headed back to Louisiana. You made, made that lady gag and probably throw up after she checked all that in. <laughs> I, said, I asked her, was this the first time you've ever done this before? And she said, she said, yep. I said, okay, that's good. You you can go home and tell your husband you got to, you know, do something different at work today. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I laughed when you told me that story. I said, oh, my God. I said, I could only imagine. Because everybody's already nervous, kind of, unless you fly constantly. Most people right. kind of get tense when you got to go through TSA and all that. Seems like you just want to try to make it through there and get get on by, you know. Right. And to have that, I would have been I would have been pretty nervous if I'd have been in your shoes at, at that point. But uh, that's a funny story, man. And that was just kind of a a great way to kind of end your trip there to New York. But uh, I mean, was it everything in New York, the hunting wise, that you thought it was going to be? I guess it was. You went there, right. you, you had so, a good experience, and you, you you brought some birds home that you were on your bucket list. Right. So the you know in the area that we were hunting. We it was basically um you know it was black ducks and brant were the only two species out there which I was okay with because you know John was like we can go hunt somewhere else and kill some you know teal and whatnot but um mm -hmm. no and I was like John you know I mean I've you know we kill teal and stuff at home I want to kill you know black ducks and brant um so it, it's one of those trips and with you know with the um with the limits of black ducks being two and the limit of brant also being two. You know, it's not one of those trips where you're going to, you know, you're going to go and, you know, yeah. 
limits, kill, uh, just limits of birds, different types yeah, of species. limits of birds. But it's really, I guess, the appreciation of going kill something different and going hunt somewhere different with, you know, with new people, good people and having yeah. a good time. Yep. Yep. That's awesome. And that's what it's all about, man. It's uh, like you said, that was a customer that bought a boat from you in New York of all places. Bought it from a from a, a guy down in Louisiana building boats. Found out about it through social media, and now Charlie, y'all probably going to be lifelong friends. And you were telling me about about this guy, and uh, and we we were talking about maybe even trying to get him on a podcast episode because this guy is not your typical waterfowl hunter, is what you Absolutely told me. Not. And kind of explain what I'm talking about there, if you don't mind. Yeah, so John, um, you know, he went, you know, when he first contacted me, he said, you know, I want this boat. Um, I hunt a lot. I, I typically hunt 60 plus days a year, right? And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I've kept a log some years and I consider myself to be, you know, pretty avid duck hunter. Mm -hmm. But a lot of years I might make 15 hunts, right? Mm -hmm. Over the, two and a half months of hunting season. So I'm thinking fifth, you know, he's, he hunts 60 days a year, you know, that that's a lot of hunting. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, you know, you almost don't know if you really believe that. Mm -hmm. Um, But then after this year, after, you know, the hunting season and matter of fact, what's today, March, uh, March 8th or 9th today. Yeah. He's still hunting. Um, he, and you he, sent me he, some pictures of him today, yeah, he, right? He's in Mexico right now, <laughs> um, hunting. He started his season in um, in Canada and spent okay. three weeks and hunted mornings and sometimes, I guess, mornings and evenings in Canada for three weeks straight. Good Lord. And then, you know, and then as he came down, I think he maybe hunted South Dakota and then hunted the New Jersey area. But he hunts um, – you know, he hunts probably at least five days a week, sometimes morning and afternoon, sometimes afternoon, sometimes just mornings. But um, that's yeah. ate up with it. That's what we call here in Louisiana, ate up with it big time. Right. And that's yeah. what I told him. Uh, he sent me pictures uh, yesterday from from Mexico. And I was like, John, I, I, I've never met anybody like you. I mean, <laughs> I would be burnt out by now. Man, I tell you, starting that early, especially the traveling, the miles he's done this year, and uh, God, man, you know, I, I I think I love it, and you think you love it, but like you said, at the end of the season, there's a point that you kind of like, I'm ready for it to kind of wind down, right. just to kind of kind of build that that energy back up and that excitement. And usually with me, about a week off, and I'm like ready to go for the next season. I'm kind of right. just fired up again. But to go like he's gone all year long, travel from you know country to country hunting like that you gotta love it a lot man that's that's like doing it as a profession almost you know right that's different that's a that's a different breed man that's awesome though to see somebody that passionate about waterfowl hunting and, and to be that much into it that's that's you gotta admire somebody like that as a fellow Absolutely. waterfowl because you, know? you know i know i think every year come you know even the beginning of january me and you you know talk and it's like man i'm tired yeah, you know, exactly. Because exactly, you, know, you hit a point. Making these trips down um, to Delacroix area and stuff, you know, we we get up at two in the morning and 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 drive an hour and a half, hour and forty five minutes, right? Mm -hmm. Just to turn around. A lot of times uh, to drive home that afternoon, or sometimes that morning. I mean, we've had we had 
you know, like I said, we had a good year. We we're fortunate. And there was a lot of times that we were back home by 10, 11 o'clock and had did four hours worth of driving that day. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Just, really, the hunt is the shortest part. You know, when you look at it, yeah. you're on the road yeah. most of the time. Right. It's, um, you know, and that can get exhausting. Uh, Correct. Driving that. So, yeah, somebody that hunts that much, man, I'm, you know, I'm yeah. like, Yep. You got to, you got to admire them. So did you kill, uh, as we're getting close to wrapping up here, did you kill any birds this year that were other than the trip to New York here in Louisiana, anything special that you're going to be mounting this year or any bands? I know you've had some good luck with some bands. Uh, yeah, over the last no, this couple year of I haven't, um, I didn't kill any bands this year. Um, other than the black ducks, that'd be the only thing that I would say in the black ducks and the brand, of course, that, that was out of the normal. Um, mm -hmm. You know, typically, um, well, actually, so after the freeze, we actually did well, um, you know, here locally with, um, you know, with mallards, which uh, we, we don't, you know, we don't shoot a whole lot of mallards a couple a year here and there. But, um, you know, once it got cold, cold right before Christmas, we actually had a couple good hunts and really did well. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people shot mallards this year that haven't you know shot mallards before we did have more numbers of mallards show up in the state uh not that it was anything significant to brag about but i think guys were able to harvest a few this year which like you said charlie it's just you don't see them like we used to back in the day right. uh you know gadwall's the new mallard i say that all the time here in louisiana Absolutely. and i think you would definitely agree with that because that's probably most of your bag limits you know is, is gadwall you even said that a while ago but, uh, you know, people are always interested in our guests as far as what equipment they use, that type of stuff. What, what shotgun does Charlie Paraloo shoot during uh, waterfowl season here in Louisiana? I've um, For the last few years, I've shot Brownings. I like the Browning. I had a Browning Silver. Um, you know, it's a uh, that's a gas operated um, semi-automatic. And um, man, I, I really love that gun. It was really, it was good to me. Still a good gun. I still have it. I, I have to do a little work getting a choke tube. One of those, uh, you know, choke tube got stuck in in the salt water. Oh yeah, rusted it up, um, got it stuck in there. Yeah, so I learned that right. now, now actually pretty much after every single hunt, I take my choke tube out and um, and grease it. But um, I, uh, a couple, few years ago, I wind up getting the uh, the Browning A5. Okay. Um, the new A5, uh, yeah. three and a half inch semi-auto. It's an inertia gun. Um, I don't know that I like it more than the silver, um, but I do like it. It's um, you know, it's a good shooting gun. Good, good. Yeah, Browning man, those A5. That's an old platform that's got a lot of proven history to it. And right. uh, I know guys that shoot Browning. Uh, I have a good friend of mine. He's loved his Brownings. Typically can't go wrong with a Browning shotgun. That's for sure. Now, what what about shot shells? That's a whole different subject. That's a big. Me and you have had discussions on shot shells. What kind of shells do you shoot in, in so, the Browning? The last couple of years, I've been shooting the Boss, the copper plated bismuth. I feel mm -hmm. like it really uh, it really does a good job of knocking them down. I feel like you got you know when you're shooting them, you got two kind of ducks. You got dead ducks or missed ducks. I don't feel like I've got the cripples like I um, typically had maybe, you know, shooting cheaper steel um, in the past. And maybe it's a mind game. Maybe it's not. But um, one of the things that I tell people, because people are like, man, you're crazy for spending that kind of money on shotgun shells. But 
And I tell people, you know, I drive, you know, we've got all this money invested in a boat. We've got all this money invested in shotguns, decoys, camouflage, waders, this, you know, and we get up at two o'clock in the morning to drive, to drive two hours and then ride in a boat for 45 minutes. And then I get there and, and I don't bring good shells. Good point. You know? Very it, good point. It just doesn't make sense to me because I feel like it's not the money. You know, I've, I've already invested all this time and energy getting out there, paddling the P-Rose, setting out decoys. Um, you know, I might as well top it off with some good shells, too. Well, let me ask you this. What's more important, in your opinion, good shells, expensive shells, good shells, or expensive shotgun? That's a tough one. Which one, which one do you think is most important? Here's my thing with the shotgun. I think you got to shoot the gun that fits you, right? Good if you point. put the gun, you can have the most expensive shotgun on your market. And when you put it on your shoulder, if it doesn't fit you right or you don't feel like your bead, like your eye is on that bead naturally, mm -hmm. then I don't think it's the gun for you. Yeah, I but agree if, with that 100%. If a three hundred dollar Remington eight seventy Express, if if you can't miss with it, then I think that's the gun for you. Yep. Well said. That's a very good point. Because I get that question asked to me pretty often. They're like, "Man, what what do you recommend? Benelli, you know, or Beretta or Browning, whatever it may be." And I'm like, Remington eight seventy. And they're like, <laughs> "What? You know, the young guys that that contact us, they'll ask our opinions on that, and they'll contact us through social media, and I'll tell them Remington eight seventy. You can't go wrong. It's reliable. It's affordable. And I tell them, spend a little bit more money on the shot shells. Because like you, I've become a huge believer in, uh, you know, the plated bismuth and all that type of stuff over the last couple of years. And you you kind of got me turned on to boss shot shells. You kind of told me the success you were having with it. And, and man, I couldn't agree with you more. Once I started shooting it, I was like, You're right. you know what? Charlie was right. If we go spend all this money on all this other equipment, invest in the shells as well and let's let's just you know have the best all-around opportunity we got to right. kill ducks you know and uh and you know what turned me on was actually was actually was in a um was hunting with a with a friend of mine in texas and he's like such a firm believer in ball shot shells you know he's like yeah i ordered a pallet and i'm like what does that mean i you know i don't know like 20 cases or something yeah um, but his thing was his wife can only shoot a 28 gauge gotcha. because of the recall, but she shoots a 28 gauge and she shoots boss shot shells. And he says, you know, she kills them just as good as the guys with the 12 gauges are killing them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so that's the other part is, you know, like when, back when we were little, you know, you went, the first gun you had was a 20 gauge, right? Because mm -hmm. they didn't, you know, even a 410, they didn't have, you had lead which wasn't, isn't legal, but now that they've got these shells out there, they've got these different alloys and whatnot to make better shells. You know, even for my son, I'm, I'm going to start him out with a 410 um, yeah. that he can actually, um, you know, kill ducks with. Yeah, and, I, and my eight-year-old, I had him this year shooting a 410 because it, it fit him better, the 410, than a 20-gauge did. And thank God for companies like Boss, which – Man, Charlie, we give them boss such good plugs on this episode. Hopefully, uh, this gets out to them. Maybe they'll sponsor us. I hook, hook us right. up. I'm sure everybody talks about them, has good things to say just about. But uh, yeah, boss, if you listen, man, hey, 
Throw some down to Louisiana to these boys right here. We'll test them out for you for sure. We'll put them to good use. But uh, no, my eight year old though, I had him shooting a four ten this year, and oh man, try, go try finding you know four ten steel shot at your local sporting goods stores. It's damn near impossible. Even Cabela's, Bass Pro, Rogers, all those big man, you know those big box stores. It's still tough to find that. I had to go to Boss. And man, I was paying $32 a box, I think, something like that for 410 shells for him to hunt. But at the end of the day, if you're shooting, I had some guys tell me, oh man, you're crazy to pay that much for a 410 shell. But the way I see it is at that age, you know, they're not taking 30 shots per hunt. You know, they right. might they might be shooting two to five, maybe six shots, 10 on a good day, maybe, you know, right. if if they shooting that much. But at that age, they're not going to be shooting that much. So really, that, that box of shells is going to last them two to three seasons with that gun until they probably move up to a 20-gauge or so on and so forth. You right. know? So it's really worth it at the end of the day. And being that young, like you said, when you hit them, they dead. I mean, there's no cripples. So for a youth, that could be his first duck that he shoots. You know, So right. I think it's definitely worth it for a youth. Spend the money. Get them a box of those if that's what you could find and that's what you could afford and take them out. And chances are when they have the opportunity, they're going to have a, a better end result, you know, for a youth hunter. It's shooting right. 410. Yeah, you know? I've, I've got a little 410 um, for my little boy, but um, my wife keeps reminding me that he's only four. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've, I've shot it with him a couple times outside, mm -hmm. um, but he's still, you know, he's still four. So he's – he, he's still young, so he doesn't have the he, he doesn't really have the you know interest um yet you know but yeah. uh, he will that comes him. that comes yeah. I'm a father with some older boys a little bit older than yours that's gonna come there's gonna hit a point if you continue to bring him there's gonna be a part, point where usually I think for Jackson he's 14 now but really when Jackson hit about nine years old Charlie that's when he kind of really started having that interest to keep coming and kind of especially duck hunting. Because, right. you know, you could take them squirrel hunting, rabbit hunting, uh, you know, stuff that's fast-paced, get them introduced to hunting on stuff like that, small game, that, that they're going to have some action. But duck hunting could be tough, especially public land hunting. You know, you take them and you might not kill a bird, you know, some right. years, as bad as the seasons were a few years ago. Uh, so it's hard to get a youth involved in waterfowl hunting. But once he hit about nine years old, he kind of started shooting some wood ducks, that type of stuff, and he really got interested at that point. And then you know where he's at now as a 14-year-old. I mean, he's ate up with it. He's insane. Oh, yeah. That's all he thinks about, you know? Nice. So it, it's definitely – I think it's a good thing to kind of break him in at a young age, get him used to some, some maybe small game hunting, and you're going to see that he, he ends up gravitating toward what your dad's on at that point, you know? So, right. yeah. Well, man, we have now – we're about an hour and 12 minutes into this episode, and, and I know we try to keep it at about an hour – but, Charlie, where, as we close things out, where, once again, can uh, potential customers who may be interested in game-changer boats, giving them a quote on a boat, a custom-built boat, whether it's a fishing boat, it's a hunting boat, uh, or whatever they, they can come up with, a P-Rog. If you want to build some aluminum P-Rogs, Charlie's probably your guy for that also as well. Where can they reach you at, once again, Charlie? Right. So, uh, you know, our website is gamechangerboats.net, and – you know, we're on Facebook and Instagram as Game Changer Boats. Game Changer Boats, guys. You can find them on social media. Oftentimes, you'll see us on our social media platforms. 
uh, posting stuff that has the game changer name on it. You'll see pictures on our pages as well. So if you want to reach out to Charlie, you can reach him where he just told you online, or you could give him a call. Charlie, do you take calls directly as well? Absolutely. What's the phone number that people could reach you at if you don't mind giving that out? Five nine seven four zero nine six zero. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Charlie, man, it's been an absolute honor, buddy. I'm glad to call you a friend. I thank you so much for finally doing this with us, getting on, because people needed to know about what you do, about the talents that you have, man. It's, 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 I agree with the aluminum salesman that you talked about in this episode. It was time to do your own thing, man, and there's going to be a bright future for Game Changer Boat. So I congratulate you. I, I, I'm praying for you. I hope it continues to grow, man. And, uh, and thank you for being a friend of ours and a friend of the show. We appreciate it, man. Absolutely. I appreciate the invite. No problem. We're going to do it again, hopefully. Well, maybe we'll do it before hunting season. We'll, Absolutely. So Sounds we, good. We appreciate you coming on. Well, thank you so much, Charlie. We'll talk to you again soon, okay? All right, Jacob. Y'all have a good night. All right. You have a good one. Well, guys, there you have it. Another great guest right here on Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors Podcast. I really hope you enjoyed the uh, the stories and getting to know Charlie Perillo. He's a phenomenal guy. Uh, you know, if you are in the market for a, a custom-built hunting or fishing boat, guys, I promise you, you cannot go wrong. He's located right here in Hammond, Louisiana. And like you said, he has customers that are singing his praises after building boats for them. Customers all the way to New York from coast to coast, really. Right now, he has customers that are placing orders with him. Uh, so he's just not here in Louisiana, guys. You can visit him on the web like he talked about. Check out what they have to offer at Game Changer Boats. And I promise you, I promise you, you will not be disappointed, guys. Well, we have no time left in this episode. So thank you once again for tuning in. You guys can watch this on YouTube, on our YouTube channel. You can visit us on our social media pages. We'll have this episode, if you want video format, on all of our social media pages, including our YouTube page. And anywhere for the audio that you get your favorite podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts, it's Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many, many more, guys. Thank you so much for the support that you give us here at Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. And until next time, this is Jacob signing off. Y'all have a good one, guys. Take care. Guys, you hear us talk about it all the time. Our buddy Jay Thomas over at Blind Grass Camouflage Systems offers hunters and outdoorsmen the most realistic, durable, and versatile camouflage materials available on the market today. Let me ask you something. Are you tired of constantly having to rebush your blinds every year or the smell of rotting grass in your blind? How about grass that pokes and cuts you through grass mats that have no depth in color and does not last an entire season? Well, the answer to that is probably yes, you've experienced that same scenario. And blind grass's patented synthetic blind grass will not rot, mildew, and is 100% waterproof. And it's available in mats or bundles, and it comes in natural grass color blends or is paintable to match your unique surroundings. Folks, do yourself a favor. If you're looking to camouflage your boat blind, kayak, permanent blind, or anything else that you're looking to blend in with your surroundings, Check out our friends at Blind Grass Camouflage Systems. You can visit them on the web at blindgrass.com. Guys, let's talk fishing for a minute. When you're looking for bait and tackle for all your fishing needs, look no further than Benoit's Performance Baits. 
Benoit's performance baits offer some of the best soft plastics for bass, sacale, and saltwater species. Rather it's a day on the water or trying to catch a mess of fish for a family fish fry or a heavy bag to win a tournament, Benoit's performance baits has what you need and what the fish want. You can visit us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok to place your order today with Benoit's performance baits.